morning, church. If you have a copy of God's Word, I'm going to invite you to turn with me to Psalm 1. We began our service this morning with a reading from Psalm 150. We will be instructed this morning from the beginning of the Psalter, Psalm chapter 1, as we think about the pursuit of happiness. I don't know if you saw this a while back. It was the cover story of Time Magazine by Jeffrey Kluger entitled The Pursuit of Happiness. And in this cover story, he talked about how elusive happiness is and the uh, strenuous ways that we pursue happiness in our culture with diminishing returns. Uh, there is an expansion of, of technology all around us, but that, not ha- that has not led us to, to happier lives. There's economic prosperity that, that many people within our country enjoy. There are entertainment options that have just multiplied exponentially, but yet we still aren't a happy people, a, a blessed people. He, he, Jeffrey Kluger, that is, the, the author of this article, talks about a world happiness report. There's a variety of criteria, and there's 50 nations that are ranked on the happiest places to live. The United States is number 18 and dropping. Uh, We're number 18 behind. Number one, Finland. Number two, Norway. Number three, Denmark. Number four, Iceland. We trail Luxembourg and Belgium and Germany and Ireland and Austria and Canada to our north. Now, before you go and buy a one-way ticket to Iceland to never come back again to the United States... We might want to ask ourselves, is there a way that we can pursue happiness regardless of our happenings? Is is our happiness dependent upon where we live and what is occurring around us? Is there a deeper root to true happiness? Psalm chapter 1 reads, Blessed is the man who walks not in the counsel of the wicked, nor stands in the way of sinners, nor sits in the seat of scoffers. But his delight is in the law of the Lord, and on his law he meditates day and night. And as he does that, he is like a tree, verse 3, that is planted by streams of water that yields its fruit in its season, and its leaf does not wither. And all that he does, he prospers. The wicked are not so, but they are like chaff that the wind drives away. Therefore, verse 5, the wicked will not stand in the judgment, nor sinners in the congregation of the righteous. For the Lord knows the way of the righteous, but the way of the wicked will perish. Notice with me the first word of Psalm 1 is that word that is translated in the English Standard Version, blessed. It's also a word in some translations that is given to us as happiness. Now there is a distinction between blessedness and happiness and we need to be reminded of this because so often in our culture we don't think of happiness as something that dwells up uh, from inside of us, that wells up from inside of us, but rather it is something that is external to us. So we're happy when our team wins. We're happy when we win the lottery. We're happy when we get the promotion. Now There is a sense that happiness can come to us externally, but the blessedness that the Psalter talks about and the psalmist talks about here is a blessedness that comes from within. 
So there's a true happiness that we can find, and the pathway to find that happiness is described to us in Psalm 1. Well, how do we discover it? How do we truly discover a happiness, a joy-filled life, a, a blessedness, regardless of the circumstances around us? Well, before the psalmist tells us how to find it, he tells us how not to find it. And I think it's important sometimes in life, it's important if you want to get to point A to get to point B, it's helpful to know how to get there, but it's also helpful to hear, don't go this way. So the psalmist tells us in verse 1 that the foolish way never leads to true happiness. If you want to find true happiness, well, verse 1 is how you don't find it. Blessed is the man who walks not. You're not going to find the blessed life if you walk in the counsel of the wicked, or if you stand in the way of sinners, or if you seat in the seat, uh, or if you're seated in the seat of scoffers here. If you're traveling from Birmingham and you want to go to Memphis, Tennessee, I think it's helpful for you to know that you can hit uh, what used to be Corridor X, which is now I-22, and 45 minutes from here, you're going to get to Jasper, Alabama. It's good to know that you can get off at Jasper and you're going the right direction. It's good to know about an hour past Jasper, there's going to be a place that you can stop. It's Tupelo, Mississippi. And that's helpful for you to know that if you're getting from here to Memphis, Tennessee, that's the right way to go. And those are places you're going to see. But if you're traveling to Memphis, Tennessee, and an hour into your trip, you see exit now, Anniston, Alabama, you're not going the right way. You're going the opposite direction. And this is what the psalmist wants you to hear and feel. This is the opposite direction to find true, lasting happiness. Notice the progression of the verbs in this passage here. Notice that there's a gradual descent in this downward spiral where sin is not only something that we're acquainted with, we walk. And the counsel of the wicked, but it becomes something that we're in proximity with and begin to ponder because what? We stand, we, we stop walking, and then we stand in the way of sinners. And so we move from just a pondering to it to a finally being immersed in it as we're seated in the seat of scoffers. So notice the way that sin works in verse 1. There is a gradual acquaintance and familiarity with, and then we become a little bit more comfortable with it before we're immersed in it. And this is how temptation works in your life and my life. It is always gradual. Don't believe the lies. Don't believe the lies that our decisions that, that lead to ultimate destruction and lead to harm for those that we love and, and, a, and, a, and a blur on the witness that that just happens in an instant. It, it doesn't. They're, they're little steps that we take that lead to lifestyles of compromise. And notice in this passage here, there's first an acquaintance, then a familiarity, and then there is a consumption of it. Do you know that old fable? It, I mean, it really is a fable more than anything else. If you find a frog and if you want to boil a frog, the way that you do this, you get a big pot, you fill it up with water, and you gradually increase the temperature, less what? The heat 
would make the frog jump out of the pot. Now, now listen, this is not a recipe. I'm not, all, I'm not offering this to you as something to go do. It's a fable. There's a moral to it. I have no idea if this is the best way to boil a frog. I have not tried that, nor am I planning that for lunch today. But I do tell you this, this is the recipe for temptation in your life and my life. The heat is gradually increased. Our familiarity with it is gradually increased until we're ultimately consumed in that lifestyle. Well, just think about it. Think about how this Monday, that that white lie that means nothing can ultimately and sometimes lead to patterns of deceit. You know that about dishonesty. It, It always unravels. It never gets easier. It never ends up more simplistic. When you tell one dishonest fact, you have to back it up with another one, and it begins to unravel until ultimately you're in a pattern of dishonesty that broaches trust with your co-workers and broaches trust with your family members and ultimately disrupts the harmony that you have with people that you love. But it begins not in this tremendous fabric of dishonesty, but it begins with that, that one choice. Think about when we give ourselves to gossip and slander, it's oftentimes that, that little decision that we make to have that opinion come out in that moment and we become more accustomed with it and we become more familiar with it and then we live inside of patterns of gossip and slander. Don't, don't think that the adulterous affair begins solely in the secret rendezvous. It begins in the little decision. Little glances, the little compromises of integrity that ultimately lead to the path of destruction. C.S. Lewis, in his famous book, The Screwtape Letters, says it this way that indeed the safest road to hell, the safest road to sin, the safest road to compromise is the gradual one, the gentle slope, soft underfoot, without sudden turnings, without milestones, without signpost. The foolish way, it never leads to true happiness. And I'm here to tell you, if you're in a pattern of, of decisions here, that there's no temptation, as the Apostle Paul says, that comes to us that we are not provided through the power of the Holy Spirit and escape. And so if you're here, it very well may be that the very words that I am preaching today are words of a reminder that through the power of the Holy Spirit, that greater is he that is in you than he that is in the world. And you're not helpless nor hopeless to go down a path that ultimately leads to compromise. That he has given you the work of the Holy Spirit in your life and you can turn from sin, confess, and you can be cleansed and renewed in a right relationship with him today. Don't travel the foolish road. It never leads to happiness It's always an illusion. It's always a mirage. But let me give you another destination, another path. Notice in verse 2 that the blessed way is found in the word of God. Notice verse 2 reads, but his delight 
is in the law of the Lord. And on his law he meditates day and night. Notice that the law of the Lord is the first five books of the Old Testament. We understand uh, that the Pentateuch, the Torah, is inspired by God, but we as Christians also understand that we have all 66 books of the Bible that are the voice of God speaking to us, that God is not silent, that we have in his word a word that speaks to us. And so our calling is to be founded in his word, not founded in the world, but founded in the world. You can write in the margin of your copy of God's word, Psalm 119, verse 105, that just reads, Your word is a lamp to my feet and a light to my path. A wordless life is a joyless life. It is. You can have excitement without the word of God. You can have pleasure without the word of God, but true, lasting joy, true, defined happiness is only defined when we have the word of God that is ultimately a lamp to my feet and a light to my path. What is the psalmist saying in Psalm 119? Well, he's saying what he's saying in verse 2 here. We need to know who I am, where I am, where you're calling me to go, and we do that by being immersed in his word. I ask you, I ask you, what, what is your proximity to the lamp and to the light? Do you, do you have regular engagement with the light of God's word and the lamp of his guidance? Or are you a lightless life? Is the, is the shining lamp that desires to guide your feet, is it something that is turned off because we're not giving ourselves to his word? Do you have to be very frank and before you, do you have regular times of engagement with God's word? Here's his voice speaking to us. Do we cherish it or do we ignore it? Do we read it and, and, and meditate upon it or, or have we taken it for granted? The other day, my mom had moved out of the house that I grew up in for 35 years, and there was this big box of letters that I had collected. And, you know, when you grow up, you have sort of a Nike shoe box, and you just throw things in there. And, and there were things that were very valuable to me, but i tell you what was most valuable to me were stacks of letter that was in the same stationery. And what I realized was is that there were letters that Danielle had written to me when she was a summer missionary in Alaska. And I hadn't seen these. I hadn't been back to the house. But when she came back to, from being a summer missionary, we sort of decided. It was really when she was gone, absence makes the heart grow fonder. I mean, there was a sense in which when she was gone and we had that distance from one another that God really clarified the, our relationship. And I proposed to her. My father-in-law and my mother-in-law are here today, uh, Brother Dan Robertson and Ms. Jane Robertson. And my father-in-law and my mother-in-law, they've been in the ministry for over 40 years. And my father-in-law was a pastor for 35 years. And then they uh, went to the mission field and served in Honduras and then Toronto and recently retired from being an associational missions director. And there's, there are no people in my life uh, outside of Danielle and my own immediate father and mother that have made a greater impact in my life than my mother-in-law and my father-in-law. And I remember 
those times where I was riding back and forth to their daughter before I asked her to, to marry me. And I remember all of those emotions and coming back to those as I found those letters 15 years later. Have you, have you been in an experience like that where you, you come back to those 19-year-old emotions and for Danielle and I to be able to, to sit down and to read through those letters and to make us go back to those times where we were just falling in love with each other and begin to realize that God was calling us to marriage with one another. It's just this sweet thing because we heard the voice of, 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 of love. That's what we heard in those letters, but it's true. It's true. I mean, there's no other way around it. I mean, there, those things, those letters were dripping. They were dripping with love, and they were dripping with, I, yeah, I, I don't know. I'm blushing right now as I tell you these stories right here. But we have in God's Word His love letter to us, His heartbeat for us, His direction for us. And we access that by giving ourselves to it. So I ask you, are, are, are you steadily and regularly drinking from his word, being defined by his word? One of the things that's been real helpful to me in my own uh, sanctification is, is an acronym that I picked up from Robbie Gallaty, who's a pastor in Tennessee, that is just H-E-A-R. If you're here today and you say, I read God's word, but I really don't feel any sense of connection to it. I read it and I move away from it. I read it and I forget it. It seems to be lifeless to me. Can I just give this to you as, as a step here? H stands for highlight. E stands for explain. A stands for apply. And R stands for respond. Let me go through those real briefly. So we can't meditate upon God's word unless we regularly engage with God's word. So we can't, now you can read God's word and not meditate upon it. That word meditation is a word that is, is not just a Christian word. So many of you have friends, maybe you have family members that uh, give themselves to Eastern religious meditation. And meditation in Eastern religions is oftentimes a emptying of one's mind. It's the silencing of distraction. The goal is to, to move to this state of zen and to this state where we are not flustered by the external things outside. Now, Christian meditation has an object at its heart. And that is that we are renewed by the transforming of our minds. So the goal of Christian meditation isn't just the silencing of external factors outside, but rather it is the clear giving to ourselves of God's word and listening to God's word and obeying God's word. And H-E-A-R helps me with this and it's helped others. So we have, if you're walking through God's word, maybe you walk a chapter at a time or maybe you walk multiple chapters at a time, but there's some diet that you have on a daily basis to give yourself to God's word. And then you say, here's a section of Scripture that I'm just going to highlight. Maybe it's a verse or maybe it's two verses that were a part of the larger reading that you had. So you highlight those verses and then you move from that 30,000 foot view to a closer view of that verse. And you want to ask in the E, what does this mean? Explanation. I found and many of you have found a good tool for that is just a good study Bible. We can't apply to our lives what we don't understand that Scripture actually meant to the original hearers of God's Word. So we want to understand the context of Corinth and 
as Paul's writing to First and Second Corinthians. We want to know a little bit about Philippi, and, and a, a good study Bible helps us with that, so we're not plucking verses out of their context and making them a pretext to mean whatever we want them to mean in our life. So we hear God's word by highlighting a section seeing the explanation of that section, moving to application. We're asking God, how does this word from you connect to my life? Help me apply this in my marriage. Help me, God, apply this in my work life. Help me apply this as a parent or a grandparent. So we're asking now application. And then we move to the R of here, H-E-A-R, and we respond. To me, one of the things that's been really helpful in in engaging with God's Word is to move from a time where I move just from a mental musing on God's Word to where I'm actually writing my response. Saying, God, in light of your Word, I seek today to... And we respond through prayer. We respond through actually maybe writing out, or maybe there's an app that you have, or maybe there's, you're typing this out. But there's, there's a moving away from just a mental apprehension of the words that are on the page to where you're asking God to move from your head to your heart. And that H-E-A-R, I think, is a helpful tool to move to meditation. And what's the result of meditation? Well, it's the blessed life. Notice with me in verse 3. It's the blessed life that bears much fruit. When we meditate upon God's word and we have this intimacy with God's word, he is like, this person is like a tree that is planted by streams of water, which yields its fruit in season and whose leaf does not wither. Whatever he does prospers. When we orient our life around God's word, it defines who we are. Notice the context of this passage. In Israel, what you had in the, in the climate of Israel was dry and dusty and arid, and it wasn't hospitable to growth. So what you would have is you would have streams, and if you would see the streams, you would see these rows of trees that were planted, and they were planted in immediate proximity to water. Because without water, there isn't growth. So what the psalmist is saying is, is without the water of God's word, we will be people who wither up. We will be people who ultimately never experience true, lasting joy because we plant ourselves in the culture. We plant ourselves in the world, and the world cannot offer us true, lasting happiness and growth. It can't. You know what the world can offer us? I love Philip Yancey. He has a book called Vanishing Grace, and he just describes what a life given to our culture looks like. Notice this quote. It's a little bit longer here. You'll see it on the screen. We have taller buildings but shorter tempers, wider freeways but narrower viewpoints, We spend more time, we spend more, but we have less. We buy more, but we enjoy it less. We have bigger houses and smaller families, more conveniences, yet less time. We have more degrees, but less sense, more knowledge, but less judgment, more experts, yet more problems. We have more gadgets, but less satisfaction, more medicine, yet less wellness. We take more vitamins and we see fewer results. We spend too recklessly, laugh too 
little. Drive too fast. Get too angry quickly. Stay up too late. Get up too tired. Read too seldom. Watch TV too much and pray too seldom. We have multiplied our possessions but reduced our values. We fly in faster planes to arrive there quicker, to do less and to return sooner. We sign more contracts only to realize fewer profits. We talk too much, love too seldom, and lie too often. We've learned how to make a living but not a life. We've added years to life, not life to years. This, my friend, is the portrait of a life that is planted in the arid soul of our culture. But I have a, I have a better opportunity for you. I, I, I have a, another path. Yes, our culture offers to us so much, but so little. We've learned to make a living, but not a life. And the reason that we cannot have life that is truly joy-filled is that we cannot do that in our own strength. Outside of Psalm 1, you need to write John chapter 15 because John chapter 15 speaks to Psalm chapter 1 where Jesus says, I'm the vine, you're the branches. Apart from me, you can do nothing. And there's so many of us, maybe even in this room, who are followers of Jesus that are trying to do a whole lot in our own strength. We're trying to find happiness in the pursuit of more stuff, more experiences, the next promotion, the next achievement, another trip, and we realize it just promises so much but delivers so little. And the reason is only him, only Jesus is the one who never runs dry. He provides for us a living water. When we drink of it, we will not thirst again. And the temptation inside the church, the temptation outside of the church, is to drink of all of the cultural values, all of the world's priorities, and we're still parched. We're still drinking and still drinking. And only Jesus can fill our deepest, deepest needs. I love the way St. Augustine in his confession says, Our hearts are restless until they find their rest in thee. How many of us are looking for happiness in all the wrong places? How many of us are looking for joy in all the wrong places? Places. And I'm here to tell you that the pursuit of joy is the pursuit of Jesus. The pursuit of happiness is the pursuit of Jesus. The pursuit of true, lasting joy is the pursuit of giving yourself to Jesus Christ. That regardless of your circumstances, regardless of your happenings, that you can find happiness because your happiness is rooted in what can never be taken from you. Jobs, they can be taken. Health, it can be taken. Circumstances, they can change. We can be uprooted and dislocated. We can be challenged, distressed, depressed, despairing. But ultimately, there is one who never runs dry. There is one who offers to you and to me and to all of us that are here a water that will quench our deepest thirst, our deepest Desires, And my question to you is, are you drinking of that well? That when we're planted in his word, we're planted in something that is drought resistant. 
a stream that yields to us life, and that life makes a difference not only in us, but in those that are around us. What does true happiness look like? Well, it looks like a a life that bears fruit. What does that fruit look like? Well, it looks like this, love and joy and peace and patience and kindness and goodness and gentleness and faithfulness and self-control. You know what a happy life is? It is a life that is defined by the fruitfulness of the Spirit of God inside of us and we growing and being a blessing to others that are around us. And apart from Him, you can't do that. Apart from Him, I can't do that. But praise God, we do not have to be apart from Him. But through prayer, And through his word, we can be planted by a stream that never runs dry. What are you planting your life by? Anything less, anything less than Jesus is temporal and it's passing. But praise God, we don't have to settle for anything less than him. You want to find true happiness? Pursue him. Let us pray. Gracious God, we thank you for your word. We thank you knowing that all of us in this room, even now, at times, are prone to wander. We're prone to leave the God that we love. And we, even here, as followers of Jesus, can begin to look for happiness in all the wrong places. Forgive us when we leave the very life source of true lasting fruit, true prosperity. Forgive us when we move because we realize you do not move from us, but we move from you. And there's some of us that are in foreign countries that need to come home and you're calling us home. There's some of us that are planting ourselves in, in, in dry, arid, dusty sources. And that soil is not life-giving. But thank God that you are. So today we repent of wordless lives. We desire to meditate upon your word in a way that it changes who we are and how we talk and how we interact with people. That there's true fruit of love and joy and peace and the fruit of the Spirit that wells up as we're connected to you. So may we be lives that bear much fruit as we're connected to you. We could do nothing without you. Lord, we pray that we'll do nothing without you this very week. It's in your name we pray. Amen.